Uh, we appreciate you. And, you know, I think about the wonderful gifts that, that mothers and, and grandmothers are. And on a day like today, I'm blessed to have a wonderful mother uh, and, and wonderful grandmothers and people in my life. And I'm so thankful for that. But I also realize that days like today can also bring up a different side of feelings for people who have lost their mother or, or lost someone important, their grandmother in their life. And as you remember your mother or grandmother, if you've lost them, uh, I just pray comfort over you. And I would encourage you to focus and remember the good times, the good blessings that she was in your life. Or for mothers who have lost children, whether at an older age or a young age, or even before birth, I pray that you would be comforted today in your loss. But I also want to thank and honor those who don't have children by blood, whether it's adopted moms and stepmoms, uh, spiritual mothers as well. You know, mothers just all the way around, motherly love is such a gift from God. And so we thank you and honor you today. And then as a little gift, uh, the youth have put together uh, at the end of the service, if you are a mother or you want to honor your mother or, or anything like that, you can take one of those flowers as we leave here today, just a special gift from our church to you, wishing you a happy Mother's Day today. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer before we dive into the word today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God. And again, we thank you for all of the mothers that you've given us. God, we remember that even from the beginning of time, when Adam was alone in the garden, you saw that he was alone, and you said, that is not good. So you gave him a woman. And that woman would become the mother of all humanity. Mothers are a gift from God. And so we thank you for them. We thank you for the mothers you've placed in our lives, for anyone who's had a motherly influence, spiritual mothers, teachers, grandmothers, aunts, anyone who has stepped into that role. We thank you for them and we honor them. Now, Lord, we ask that you bless us today during our worship as we continue and we read in your scriptures today. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts and our minds to see your truth, to see things, to understand that we have not yet understood. Reveal yourself to us. Speak to us through your word by your Holy Spirit during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. We're making our way through this almost chapter by chapter at this point. Because as we keep diving in, we keep finding that the new covenant, it just keeps getting better and better and better. There's really no drawback in the new covenant. Things are better and better and better. And as we've seen each and every week, the theme that runs throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better he is greater than all. He's greater than every figure we see in the Old Testament. Greater than Moses, than Abraham, than Joshua, than the angels themselves. Jesus is greater than anything. And then the covenant that Jesus has brought us under, that he inaugurated in his blood, which we will speak about the blood today, that that covenant is greater than the old covenant because it's been enacted on better promises through that covenant, we can draw near to God through Jesus, that he changes us from within, that we enter into true fellowship with God, and that he holds our sins against us no longer. It says he remembers our sin no more, as we talked about. 
And today what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 9 are several more things as the author continues to explore this idea of why the new covenant is so much better than the old. And the truth that we've all stated for several weeks now is that all of the things in the Old Testament under the old covenant were just shadows or copies of things. And that's what the author talks about in chapter 9. How everything in the old covenant, whenever God told Moses to build the tent of meeting, he told him you need to build it exactly like this. Why? Because it was a copy or a shadow of the heavenly tent, the true dwelling of God. So God had him make all these different things in all these different places. He had all these different instruments that he had in specific spots. And all this was to resemble the true uh, temple. And so we will see today that the things, the earthly things, as they're going to be called, are shadows of the true things in heaven. We'll see how there's a need for a death anytime we're talking about a will or a covenant. We'll talk about the, necess- the necessity of the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. We'll see the finality of Christ's death. And then we're even going to talk a little bit about the second coming and how Christ is going to deal with us when he returns. So as we dive into these things, we'll keep all that in mind. Again, if we remember back in the Old Covenant, especially when the author is in this part of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 8, he's talking about the tabernacle even more than the temple. And if you remember, the tabernacle was a very temporary dwelling. They would set it up and move it, set it up and move it. It was made out of skins and things like that. So you knew over time that tabernacle was going to wear out. Parts of it were going to have to be replaced. So by its very nature, just being a part of creation, time would eventually wear that thing down. It was never meant to be eternal. But it was meant to be a shadow that pointed us to the eternal things. We remember that the priests would go in and make their offerings and that the high priest could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for his sins and the sins of the people. But those sacrifices, the blood of those bulls and the goats and the rams could never perfectly cleanse us. It had to be repeated over and over and over again. And Hebrews chapter 9, we we hear a lot about Jesus' blood, and that's what I want us to focus on today. In the Old Covenant, they would spill the blood of these animals. They would sprinkle it on the altar. They'd kill this, kill that, kill this, kill that. Literally just a river of blood flowing from the altar. But yet all of that blood, think about this, year after year after year. Just think about the 40 years in the wilderness, how much blood was spilled covering the sins of the Israelites. But it never truly and fully cleansed them. They had to keep coming back and keep coming back. It says, though, in, uh, in chapter 9, verse 12, it says that, that Jesus went into the true tent, the true presence of God, once for all, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls, but by his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And I want us to see that whenever we talk about Jesus' blood, we're talking about something that is eternal and lasting and permanent versus the blood of animals that was temporary. It could cover for a time. It could put away for a little bit, but it could never fully cleanse. But when Jesus gave his sacrifice, 
We've already talked about Jesus as the great high priest, as the priest in the order of Melchizedek. He didn't offer to God blood from goats or rams or or lambs. He offered his own blood. And the result of that was eternal redemption. Now I want us to pick up and read in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 28. And we're going to talk about this blood and the necessity of this blood, why this blood had to be spilled and what it has done for us. So Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. It says, for, well, for where a will is involved. Now, will is the same word as covenant there. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force, as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law that had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both on the book itself, the book of the law, and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent, the tabernacle, and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You need to highlight the second part of that verse. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Continuing on in verse 23, says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What that means right there is the reason that God had us make sacrifices under the old covenant was those were a copy of the true things. Forgiveness by the blood of Christ, the blood of the goats and the bulls, was a copy of that pointing us to Christ Jesus. Verse 24, For when Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, that's things of this earth, the tabernacle, the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places year every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin with the sacrifice of himself. Let me repeat that again. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, listen here, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, 
not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's start breaking this down a little bit. In this portion, this passage, the author takes us kind of all over the place. But the reason is, is he's showing us the necessity for bloodshed, for death, and then what happens because of that. So we're going to walk through this and, and break it down. Talking about wills. We understand a, a last will and testimony in, in the human sense. If you had a, a, a very rich parent and they, you were their only heir, whenever they died, in the will said, I leave everything to my one and only child, and that's you, what happens when they die? You inherit what? Everything. But you don't inherit it until when? They die. You see, we, we understand that concept. Now, I want you to think about this. If, if God made a will or a covenant with us, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. That's our inheritance. I'm going to take away their sin. I'm going to make them holy, pure, and righteous. That's our inheritance. That's his will. But how can God die? We can't receive that until God dies. But when God became the man, Christ Jesus, Jesus died. He was innocent, yet took on all of our sin. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He had no sin. But yet he took our sin and died. And now that he has died, we can receive that inheritance that has been given through him. This makes sense to us when we think about it in those terms. Now that Jesus has died for us, we can now receive the inheritance. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. The Bible says this about believers, that we are co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean to be a co-heir? If I'm the sole heir, everything is mine. But if I have a sibling and my rich parent dies and I am a co-heir, everything is ours. I mean, this makes the grace of Christ even more wonderful. Not only does Jesus, he's the inheritor of all things. The author of Hebrews tells us that in chapter 1, verse 2, that he is the heir of all things. Jesus not only took away all of your sins, he not only gives you a lot of new things, the new heart, the new spirit, new life, he also shares his kingdom with you. And this kind of is, it blows our mind to think about this, that God would consider us co-heirs with Christ. The book of Ephesians said that you are seated with him in heavenly places. And where is Christ Jesus seated? At the right hand of the majesty of God on high. And if you're seated with him, that's where you are. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he has done. But when we look at this in the Old Testament, God made that first will and covenant to them. Christ had not yet come. And yet to show that it was inaugurated by blood, by death, Moses had to sprinkle blood on the book and on the people and on the tabernacle and on the articles of worship. That'd be a really strange church service. Just think about this in modern times. If I had the deacons come up here and, and slaughter some animals right here, I took the basins and just took some branches and started slinging blood on everybody during church. 
That's what happened that day. But all of that was to point us to the fact that one day the Messiah would come and that he would spill his blood for us. It's a shadow of Christ's blood in the new covenant. Remember, on the night he was betrayed, after he took the bread and then he took the cup and he said, this is the the blood of the new covenant, my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That's what he's talking about there. And then in verse 22, it tells us how Almost everything under the law is purified by blood. Why? Because it's a shadow of the heavenly things. God can only forgive sin through death. The wage of sin is death. Paul has told us that. The wage of sin is death. When we sin, we deserve to die. And in heaven, that's the standard God upholds. Perfect, righteous justice. Sin has to die. So he showed that to us in these earthly sacrifices. He showed us the wage of our sin, again, pointing us to Christ, Jesus. But I think about this, but why blood? Why blood? Why blood? The book of Leviticus, chapter 17, 11, tells us that the life is in the blood. The life of a thing is in the blood. Now, think about this with me for a minute. We remember, let's put our uh, middle school, high school science hats on for a second. We know that we have blood in our body. And blood does a lot of things. It, it carries nutrients, it, it does this, it does that. But one of the main things that blood does is it carries oxygen and carbon dioxide throughout our body. Carries it in, carries carbon dioxide out, right? Carries, we breathe in, we breathe the air into our lungs, and the blood carries that oxygen all throughout our body. Whenever God made man and brought Adam to life in that garden, how did God bring Adam to life? He breathed life into him. And sin requires death, and if life is in the blood, then the blood must be spilled. Now think about that. There's no way that... People living that long ago who knew nothing about science and molecules or anything like that could know that the life of a thing was in the blood because God breathed the breath of life into Adam, the first man, and the life, the breath of life was carried throughout our bodies in our blood. They didn't understand science that way. I'm sorry. But yet you can piece all this together when you read the scriptures. And all these sacrifices are just shadows. All these other priests representing the true high priest. And so when Jesus came, remember, he is the true high priest that all other high priests have been pointing us to. He entered into the heavenly places, not by the blood of others, not by the blood of animals, but by his own blood, securing eternal redemption. And he appeared before God for us. On our behalf, he went before God. And then what are we told there in verse 25? That he appeared once. Christ Jesus has appeared there once. This is very different from the earthly priests under the Old Testament. They had to make sacrifices again and 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 again. I'm telling you, every single day, all the time, God has to make sacrifice. Over and over and over and over and over again. 
And so there's some who think that Jesus went before God and, and dies and suffers repeatedly for us. But friends, let me tell you, that is not the truth at all. The scriptures testify that Jesus Christ died once. And by that one death, all sin has been put away for every single person who believes in him. That one death was enough. Jesus is not in heaven suffering and dying again and again. He already suffered once. He died once. He is risen and he is living every single moment of every day forever in heaven. He doesn't die again and again. He lives and lives and lives and lives and lives for you and for me. Verse 26 says that he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. We spoke about this last week when we said he will remember our sins no more. He said, I will, as far as the east is from the west, I'll cast your sins into the depths of the sea. He will destroy our sins. He blots them out of existence. That's what he did when he appeared before God with his true perfect sacrifice. Going into the true tent, the true high priest gives a true sacrifice by his life and by his blood. And so what comes next? Okay, Christ has done that. He has appeared before God. What happens next? I love how this author pieces all these brilliant things of God together. I mean, Hebrews is such an incredible book. He says that just as it is, man is appointed to die once, and after that comes judgment. Well, even Christ Jesus, who was a man, died once. As every single one of us, we are appointed to die once, and after that comes judgment. We hear that word judgment, and all of a sudden everybody gets a little scared, unless you understand the grace of God. The forgiveness of Christ Jesus in his blood. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And you start thinking, oh boy, I better, I gotta, I gotta stop doing all the evil. I better start doing some good. Time out. Let's infer a few things here. Number one, Christ Jesus died for how many of your sins? All of them. And he put them away. He blotted them out. He cast them into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, he removed them from you. They're not a part of you anymore. They're gone. They're destroyed. So he took your sin. He took your evil. He took that judgment and that punishment for you already. That does not await the believer. Let's talk about the good. You say, well, what is the good? There was a time in the book of John chapter 6 whenever they asked Jesus, what must we be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You want to talk about good works? The good work is to believe in Christ Jesus. Everything else will flow from that. There's no judgment left for your sins because Jesus took the full penalty and payment and judgment for your sin you will be judged as a believer as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus 
And this is exactly what it says there in verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is what the Bible tells us. So Christ, having been offered once, even Jesus died once. Having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin. Why? If you're a believer, he already dealt with your sin. He's not doing that again. Let me tell you, he did a good job the first time. I like how the NASB says it with no reference to sin. When Jesus comes back for the believer, he's not coming back to judge your sin. He died for the sin already. It's already been judged. He's coming back. What does it say? To bring salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. That's every single believer. When Jesus returns, you don't have to be afraid if you're a believer because he's not coming to bring you judgment for sin. He already did that. He's coming to bring you salvation. What a wonderful hope we have in him. Kind of wrap this up and recap. What we're talking about here today is again the necessity of death for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's how serious sin is. Sin deserves death, period. There's no way around it. So much so that God had to kill his only son that you could be forgiven. God is very serious about sin, but he is also very serious about salvation. The true high priest has entered into the true presence of God with the true sacrifice, his own blood, and brought you true forgiveness. True, lasting, eternal redemption. So when he returns, for the believer, there'll be no reference to our sin. Only salvation in him. But to any who have not called on his name, they will have to deal with that judgment. But the good news of the gospel is, is that every single person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single person who turns to Christ Jesus, who repents of their sins and believes in him is saved. This is the hope of the gospel. That we are those people who have turned from our sin and believed in him and been saved from our sin. This is our hope that we carry with us. This is the hope that we share with all, everyone in the world. That by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are completely forgiven. You are eternally saved. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this day. God I thank you for the. Wonderful things that we got to be witness to today. Especially with the baptism of Alec. Lord. You know even a child. Can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And know that they are saved without a doubt. Simply because they have looked to him. And believed. In him. And God what a wonderful hope that is for each and every person in here that all we have to do is turn and look to you that you save us from our sins 
that you have done away with them by your blood and we never have to be worried about that again. But we can live in your freedom, in your joy, in your redemption, in the newness of life that you have given us by your Holy Spirit. That we get to walk by faith. So God, I pray for every person in this room, for every person that already knows you as Lord, God, would you remind them of all the wonderful things that you've done for them, how securely you uphold them, how much you love them, and how you will keep them forever. But for anyone who doesn't know, or who's wondering, could I do that? Would he save me? God will save everyone who calls on his name. It's that simple. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move through this place, God. I pray that you would remind us all the things that you have accomplished through the cross by your blood, by your life, by your sacrifice, by your gift, by your grace, by your mercy. And then you just shower us in your goodness. And we are in awe of you, Lord. We are so thankful. And this is why we praise your name. This is why we gather. This is why we share the gospel. This is because you loved us, God. And we love you. And we thank you. And Lord, I pray today, is it today that we are honoring our mothers, our grandmothers, and all the wonderful women that you have given us in our lives? pray that you would remind those mothers how much we appreciate them and love them. I pray that you would comfort anyone who's missing their mother or, or missing their child, God. Would you give them the peace that only you can give? And Lord, we thank you for everything you have given us. You are such a kind, merciful, and wonderful God. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.